This is the Work Minus Podcast, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work today and transformative ideas to help you build a better workplace. To hear all of our episodes and read articles about how you can improve your workplace, go to workminus.com. Well, welcome back to Work Minus. Today, our guest is Marlene Chisholm. She's a consultant, executive educator, and author, and this episode is Work Minus Drama. Hi, Marlene. How are you? Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you. Work Minus Drama is a big topic, and you are well-known about drama. You have a lot of books about it. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Well, I've been doing this work for about 20 years. It started out with professional speaking, and it started leading to more interesting work, I would say where organizations were experiencing certain kinds of drama and they wanted it gone because it affected productivity and and effectiveness. And so really, I work in all kinds of ways now. It can include professional speaking and it can include training and, and leadership and it might include executive education. So really just depends on the outcomes uh, that the company's looking for. So give us your quick definition of how do you define drama, workplace drama? Well, my definition is a little different than what's out there. A lot of people, when they hear that word, the first thing they think of is, well, we have a bunch of women, and so therefore, you know, we have drama. But I jokingly say the next book is going to be called Men Have Drama Too, (laughs) because drama is a human condition. And truly, if you're growing and you're learning, you're going to experience some drama. But my definition, so that it, it really encompasses what we're talking about, is that drama is any obstacle to your peace and your prosperity. So from that perspective, if something's eating at you, if it's bugging you, if it's keeping you from focusing, it's drama for you. If it's hurting the bottom line, if it's hurting productivity, if we're losing clients, if we're experiencing unwanted turnover, if we have trouble with retention, that is drama also because it's hurting us in regards to prosperity. So it's not only at the human level where we're experiencing relationship issues, it's also in the business results area where we see it in what we would call business terms. I like that, the peace and prosperity to to anything that's impacting that is there. And you you bring up an important point that there is this kind of negative bias, I guess, that's gender-driven with drama that uh, I think most people would think maybe uh, that it's a female thing. So how do you fight that? Or have you thought about maybe using a different word? Or what's your strategy with that? You know, I have, Neil, because in some ways it is difficult to really encapsulate what I'm talking about. But on the other hand, it's really useful to use a word that's not already out there so that we can start to change our concepts and our mindset. If you really think about drama from the perspective of, if we define it, any obstacle to peace or prosperity, look at our government right now. Lots of drama, lots of men. Look at sports. If you look at the history of sports, you see all kinds of drama. It's just different than the gossip and petty bickering. So really, when we start to do work that we're trying to get results, we want to create really solid definitions so that we have the same frame of reference. So I just kind of laugh when people say something like, oh, I don't do drama, because they're using a different definition. And, and truly, people that say that, a lot of times they create a lot of drama because they're either bullies or they avoid. So when you start to use a definition that's more well-rounded, it helps you to put your, to wrap your mind around it and then to start creating strategy and plans that help you to get the results you want. Yeah, great. No, this is a great start. So I want to know, you know, everyone kind of has an idea what drama is, but when did you personally decide to make a career out of it? You know, when I started making a career out of it, it was sort of an evolution. And so the first part of that evolution 
was when I wanted something more for my own life. And I had a lot of what I would call mental drama or the life purpose type of drama. So it was very personal for me. I wanted to do something differently. I was uh, I worked in a factory for 21 years. I was a blue collar worker and I wanted to change my life and I didn't know how to do that. So that was my drama, my experience. If I want something more, how can I become more of a creator of my life rather than a victim? Because I've been at the, it's a factory job for 20 years. It's really difficult to make that kind of change because you're already grounded in certain mindsets. On that journey of self-development, and taking college classes, finishing up my bachelor's degree and investing in myself. This was before I got the master's degree, of course, but I uh, discovered a tool that was created by a psychiatrist and it's called the Karpman Drama Triangle. And that tool literally changed my life when I started understanding the relationship dynamics that happen between people. We can talk more about that triangle later if you want to, but the idea is that in any kind of drama, there's always relationship challenges and you'll see people either showing up as a victim, a persecutor, or a rescuer. So I started applying that tool in my own life to take responsibility for my life and then as I evolved, got out of college, started my profession as a professional speaker in the beginning, I wanted to teach this concept. And through that time, I decided to go and get my master's degree. And then I went, you know, maybe this is a waste of time. Do I really need a master's degree? It costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of work. But I had a professor that said to me something that I didn't quite understand, but it really made an impact on me. And he said, if you will finish your master's degree, it doesn't really even matter what topic it is, but you'll write an ending paper called a capstone. And that capstone can be the foundation upon which you build your entire business. For example, you can be like Stephen Covey and talk about trust. Your capstone is going to be research-based and it's going to give you understanding and frameworks from which to go out and work with companies. And so my capstone was entitled Drama in the Workplace Hampers Productivity, the Effect of Relationships on the Bottom Line. So that's the three layers that happened for me in my own transformation and in my own decision to start writing and talking about drama. Wow, that's amazing. And hats off to you for making that transition. It's, we, we all know it's not easy. So it's, it's a really great example of that story. So um, I want to know the types of drama. You, you alluded to something like mental drama that you were going through in, your, in yourself. How do you kind of categorize different types of drama that are out there? Well, it's all drama because it's an obstacle. So really, if I'm working with someone in a coaching aspect, we're either trying to, if they're a leadership, if they're an executive or a leader, I'm either trying to help them get results with their people, or I'm trying to work with them on their mindset and their behavior. So a lot of times it starts out with an executive calling me and saying something like, well, I have a director that's really not very good. Uh, you know, she's, she's not, she doesn't follow through. And, and there's all kinds of reasons why they don't think that director is very good, but they don't want to fire that person. And it'll always start out with what I call go fix Fred. In other words, Fred's the problem, not me. But when I dig a little bit deeper, what I find is that that executive has let this go on for a certain amount of time. Therefore, it's not just Fred. If I can then work with that executive to learn how to have a performance conversation or to find out where they are dropping the ball, where they're not instituting measures of accountability, where the culture 
is partly to blame because of the way things are done or because of the constraints put on them. That kind of coaching is eliminating drama, but not just from the drama that they're pointing out. I'm digging a little deeper to find the root of drama. And a lot of times it's their own behavior. It's their own mindset. It's their avoidance. And the bloom of the flower looks like it's Fred that needs to be fixed. And sometimes that tr- that's true. But when the leader really learns how to be clear on the expectations, look at the job descriptions, coach that performance and create accountability, that was the real issue. Because if you don't get to the heart of it, it's going to happen again. Do you feel like in most of your experiences that the root cause tends to be a personal issue, personality issue, some something that individual person hasn't developed yet, or a systemic issue where it's it's something where the organization just isn't organized the right way or the technology they're using isn't correct? Which which one tends to be more the case? Man, that's a brilliant question. And I think it's a both and world. The way that I've organized, the way that I work with it, because it can be systemic. In fact, I was just coaching someone the other day that was talking about Um, how they had someone that gave them bad assignments. And I said, was that your boss? And they said, no. And I said, but you don't have any power over the assignments. That's true. And I said, then that is cultural. That's systemic because the truth is they are your boss. In a way, if you have no power to say no, you're not colleagues. So there's, it's a way that we define things. So right there is an issue. They had a personal issue with each other. It couldn't be resolved, but partly because of the system that they were in. And so it is both. I help to find that issue or whether it's a combination of both one or the other is to say that in all drama, there's always three common components. The first of which is a lack of clarity. And so in the example I just gave you, while he's saying, no, that's not my boss. And in the same breath saying, but I have no power, then that's, that's incorrect. That's a lack of clarity. It's not congruent. If we're equals, I have power. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's really, it's all of those things. But what I look for first is a lack of clarity. How are we defining things? What are the expectations? What is my understanding? Where's our lack of knowledge? I look for a lack of clarity first because I have a, a philosophy and a belief that clarity can change any situation. And I also know that this is the distinction. Just because you're unclear about something does not necessarily mean that you have drama. I can know that I'm unclear or don't have complete information, and I can be okay with that. And I can say I'm in the unknown. There's more research to be done. There's more questions to be asked. And there's no obstacle to prosperity. There's no obstacle to peace. We keep operating. We move forward. Or I can say I don't have the research. I don't have the knowledge. And it's causing me so much grief I can't even focus. And we're fighting because we don't have this knowledge. Now we know that the the lack of clarity is causing drama. So in all drama, there's always a lack of clarity, but there's not. And just because something is just because you have a lack of clarity, though, does not necessarily mean you have drama. Yeah. And and clarity is a a big theme in your book, which I really enjoyed going through and, and reading about how important it is for that. You mentioned that it's just one of three elements, though. What are the other two? The other two is relationships, and you brought that up. It can be the relationship and relationship. I talk about that differently, too. Most of us think of relationships as as me and my boss, me and my colleague, me and another person. But when you really dig deep, a relationship only exists because of the way we think about something. So we have relationships with the idea of leadership, the idea of authority. We have a relationship to our workplace. We have a relationship to culture. We have all these intermixed relationships. And yes, on the personal level, that's where you see the bickering, the backstabbing, the gossip, the I don't like her, he said, she said, the ping pong. That's a relationship issue. But 
very much mentally we have relationships with what we if we say you know women at the water cooler bickering and gossiping that's our mental image of how we view women if we view employees as troublemakers and their cogs as in a wheel that's a relationship issue because of the way we're seeing other people and in order to resolve a conflict especially in a relationship you first have to do the inner work of changing the way you see the other person because if you've got judgment against someone and you're talking about them well they're an idiot well they're clueless well they're you know they're they don't get it or I'll just pull the wool over their eyes. When you're looking at someone and you have that internal mindset about them, that right there is the relationship issue that's at the root of the the inability to have a conversation because there's no respect. Yeah. Let me jump in and, and ask about, uh, I'm sure one thing you deal with a lot is the history between people. You know, something happened five years ago, 10 years ago, that's affecting the, the present day. How do you go about those challenges? Yeah, that's great because that's really about forgiveness. It's unresolved. And so when we think about conflict versus alignment, conflict is like seeing two arrows going in opposite directions and we're really stuck. And so the past, when we have an issue with the past, we have several choices to make. We can try to talk it out and resolve it and you know get apologies going. We can make, set certain boundaries or we can decide to forgive with the understanding that we can forgive, but we would no longer allow certain things to happen because we need better structures or boundaries. So what I try to do is to help people to get clear on what they want moving forward versus focusing on what happened before. Because if you, wherever you put your focus is where you put, you know, where you ever you put your attention is where you're putting your focus. So if we're continuing to have backwards conversations about what you did, we need to find a way to resolve that and, and really it boils down to personal trust versus trusting the other person what I have found is that if I'm scared to death that you're going to screw me over I may never think that you're going to do me fair the real question I have to answer is do I have the resources and the resiliency to deal with whatever happens even though I may not be able to trust you that's the real question because I need to trust me and that's where I find people are putting too much, too many eggs in their basket of trying to trust someone else versus deciding that they have choice, there's boundaries, there's structures that can be put into place. And we need to learn how to trust ourselves so we quit putting the focus and blaming other people for our, for our upsets. Wow. Okay, so we have clarity, we have relationship, and then what's the third one? The third one is resistance. And resistance is when we get really stuck. It, my definition for resistance is... The inability, to, the unwillingness or the inability to change and the unwillingness to see a different choice. And so a lot of times the resistance is just in our head, for example, and this creates internal conflict. I want to give my employee an like a conversation that's going to help improve his performance, but I also really want him to like me and I don't want him to quit. Um, I would like to bring these two in that are having a problem, but I'm not quite sure I'm capable, therefore I avoid. And I feel bad for avoiding, but I also feel good for avoiding because avoiding keeps me out of that drama. So the resistance is the back and forth, the ping pong, the someone saying they want the help and then not accepting it. And, you know, there's a lot, that's a deep subject, it could be a whole conversation, but resistance is not, the difference is like, if I say no, I'm not willing to do that, then I have to be willing to, to accept the consequences. That's not resistance. 
resistance is where I say I want to, but then I don't, or I argue with you and we waste time talking about the past. We get distracted. And I see this a lot with human resources people. I see it a lot with middle-level managers. They simply don't know how to maintain the focus and clarity of a conversation. And they get with an employee who's resistant to their feedback, and it turns into what I call ping pong they go to the island called look what sally did or they go to the island called that's not fair and so now we're into those kinds of conversations which which is irrelevant to the future of what we want to create so have you ever had a situation where there's something that's drama and by your definition drama is is always negative but has there ever been a time when drama has actually led to a lot of positive things or maybe someone thought it was drama before but it ended up being actually a good thing for the company Well, almost always because, um, you know, in the second book, No Drama Leadership, I'm making the statement that truly drama can be a stepping stone to enlightenment. And so it really is the way that you look at things. If we have conflict, drama, we have a problem with our business, we have a financial issue, what is drama in the moment when we shift our attention to what are the opportunities, what are the choices, how is this going to make me grow? Instead of, why did this happen to me? I'm a victim, your fault. When we shift our perspective to that of being a creator, we can experience the emotional part of drama and we can experience the reality and the fact that this is difficult, that it seems that there's no answer, that right now we're stuck. But the only reason there's no answer and we're stuck is because we have limited level of awareness and consciousness. And so the way to step out of that is to say, well, this is the reality that I'm facing now, but I'm a creator. What are my choices? Who would know about this? Who would know something more than me versus look at what happened, look at what someone did. And because of that, it's never going to be the same. So we're either looking forward to say, how can this be a stepping stone? Or we're going to say, well, this crushed me. And therefore, because of that, I'm going to give up and and use that as my excuse to not move forward. So how do you uh, handle a situation when who gets to define what what drama is? So you may have like a upper level management that somebody brings a complaint and they say, hey, you know, this is just drama. I don't want to deal with it right now. Versus someone else who feels like, no, this is actually a legitimate complaint and it's not being um, fairly addressed. How do you address those issues? Well, that's a, that's a great question, too. But truly, if drama is any obstacle to peace or prosperity to the person that it bothers, it's drama for them. If the leader or owner can't see the bigger picture of how it could be drama for the company, then that becomes a problem. So whoever's experiencing it is the one that gets to define it because for them it's drama. There's some sort of inner conflict with it. Now, you know, I think that a leader's job is to focus energy. So I say that if leadership is any is about anything, it's about alignment, and alignment is about focusing energy. And so along those lines, and this is more middle management type of teaching that I used to do a lot of, a lot of HR kinds of things, but the idea is this. People complain for a handful of reasons. We all kind of get negative because we get into a habit, so that, that one notwithstanding, the reasons that people complain is they either want something and they don't know what it is, Or they want something and they know what it is, but they don't feel that they have the power to get it or change it. And so if we can understand that there's a perceived need that's not being met, and if we as leaders can decide to not discount that, but to at least hear it out, focus the energy, get to the root issue, what's the real problem, instead of all the history, all the stories, all the ping pong, if we learn the communication skills to get to the root of how that person sees it, then what we want to do is we want to 
as a, from a leadership perspective, we want to look at it and say, what's the business point here? Is this going to increase turnover? Is this going to create a toxic culture? Is this going to lower the productivity? We want to do that in the back of our minds. But as far as helping the individual, it's really about coaching them to find their choice and to see and to actually explain what they want. Because as long as you're talking about the problem, you're not really talking about what you want. And so one of the tips and tricks that I give to people at all levels is to say, go out today, and the next time you hear, whether it's your three-year-old, whether it's your husband, whether it's your manager, your director, or even your executive, you hear someone, a customer, and they're complaining and they're railing and they're all over the place. The first thing that people want is to be heard. You don't have to agree with them, but the first thing is, I, I hear you, or I might feel that way if I were in your place too. Explain a bit more, or I, I hear you, and it's not making sense to me from where I am, but I'm hearing that you're very upset. Once people feel heard, the next level is, you know, what is it that you want? Now, what you're going to hear with that is sometimes people are very dumbstruck by the question. So busy talking about the past and about what not to, what's not working, they have not really even defined what they want. And what I have found is that when people are clear on what they want, they can move to that place much quicker. So if you can say, what do you want? Or what would be your outcome? Or if you could wave a magic wand, there's a million ways to say it in your own language that gets someone guided and directed to talking about a future outcome that is no longer, that's not there right now. So the question is, what do you want? If they say what they want and it's relevant and it's uh, viable, now you've got something to work with. We can work with choices. We can work with strategy. We can work with barriers. But until someone says what they want, you can't help them. Hmm. Wow, it's a, it's a really powerful way to to start to think about what what these dynamics are when it comes to to drama. And as it, as it turns out, uh, Marlene, the last question for me uh, is: you you reference the idea of people who say, you know, I don't do drama, may actually end up being a bully themselves. So w- what does workplace bullying look like? What are some of the common things you see in that way? You know, I see that a lot of times with new supervisors that perhaps, you know, and maybe even in in blue collar construction type, heavy, heavy equipment type of organizations. In fact, a couple of years ago, I did sort of a a tour. I worked with a a client of mine and they offered me as a sort of a a consultant, a leader of some facilitated workshops for like middle level, lower level supervisors of their client companies. And I did a survey and one, one one question on the survey was, uh, do you have, what's your ability or your confidence in initiating a difficult performance conversation that gets results? And I started noticing a trend and I got this trend of people that were one to two to three years into supervisory, especially the men. This is where people think men don't have drama. Oh, they would give themselves a 10. They're great at it. And then in the same, like four questions later, their biggest problem was accountability, which means that they think they're good at initiating the conversation, but the truth is they're not getting results. And what I also saw was that they didn't really often have the skills in a way that would make people want to work with them. So while they didn't have trouble initiating the conversation, it was more from a my way or the highway, I'm the boss, I've got the power. What I believe this comes from is that good technical performers, people that are very um, dedicated to the company, they get promoted, but they don't know how to lead. And so they go one of two directions. 
One direction is they try to become best friends with everybody from the myth and the mistaken belief that, well, if they like me, they'll work hard for me and we'll all get along and and I'll be the really most liked boss. That generally never works because people are going to take advantage. And there's always a division, us versus them, that's going to happen with different layers of leadership. It's just human nature. The status issues are there. The next layer that, that goes through is, you know what, that didn't work, or maybe I don't want it to work. I'm now the boss. I feel a lot of pride with that. It's my way, and I know how it's done. You need to listen to me. I'm the one that got promoted. Neither one of those strategies or, or behaviors work because uh, people do want to be heard. They do want to be led. They want collaboration. They don't like to be bullied, and that's viewed as bullying by a lot of people. A boss that says, I didn't ask you to work here. If you don't like it, find yourself another place to work. Right now, we can't afford that You know, in today's economy because it's hard to get workers. So we're really, really, really in need of leaders that understand how to communicate effectively to get results through others. But what I find is the most important is is the relationship, the respect, even if your grammar's off a bit, depending on the culture, it's really more about, is my boss fair? Do I respect my boss? Does my boss walk the talk? So it's truly about character development, leadership development, communication skills. That's really what's going to take down the unnecessary drama in your workplace. There's enough drama as it is with regulations and mandates. And, and, you know, there's enough drama already without the kind that is relationship-oriented. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Marlene, it's been great to talk with you. Uh, where can we go to stay in touch with your work? You could go to www.marlenechism.com or if you want to give me a call to see about me coming out to your company, it's 417-831-1799. Really appreciate you being on the show, uh, sharing your insights. It's a lot of uh, great things to talk about and we look forward to connecting with you again later. Thank you. Bye-bye. This has been the Work Minus Podcast. If you like what we're doing, go to workminus.com where you can see the show notes and a full transcript for every episode. You can also sign up for our newsletter where you'll get the latest progressive ideas about how you can build a better workplace.